This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on that power bill, using technology wisely, and living a more sustainable life. There's some noise in the background here, and I'm over at Liberty Tire Recycling with Dewey Grantham. Dewey's taking me around. Dewey, I mean, a lot, not a lot of folks know what actually happens to their tires. You know, that's a really good question, and when I tell people what I do, you know, that's a, I get that funny look. You know, I never thought about that, but when your tires come off your car, we come to the tire shop, we pick them up, bring them to our facility located right in Midtown Atlanta, and we process those tires to create rubber mulch and alternative fuels, scrap metal, and uh, the nylon, which we call fluff, also is extracted from that tire. So we're recycling every bit of that tire that comes off of your car right here in downtown Atlanta. Dewey, I'm standing between piles of the initial cut that's maybe bigger. Let's walk over here. I'm going to put some pictures of this on our Twitter feed. So these are kind of larger pieces. And is there any use for the large piece of an in and of itself, or is it going to have to go into some secondary process? Well, the larger pieces through the primary shred can be used at landfills for daily cover, but that's the lower value for the product. So... You know, we try to create more value if we can. Um, so that would be the, the less option that we would go with. Um, you know, what we would do after the primary shred is run it through our granulation system. And really, that's where we get the rubber, the fiber, the wire separation. And it gives us the capability to make that rubber smaller through a series of cuts. And that's where we can make rubber mulch. Uh, We can take it down to fine grind rubber, which goes into rubber mats up in Calhoun and Dalton, Georgia, where Mohawk and Apache are. So, you know, there's a lot of products that are made from recycled rubber from tires that, you know, most people had no idea existed. There's a problem out here in the state. I'll be going down a road sometime, and I'll see a big old pile of tires over there in the woods or, uh, or just on the side of the road. People, I guess not wanting to discard of them properly. Why is it better for them to come here? Well, I would tell you the number one reason is the tire doesn't break down. You know, it's primarily consists of oil and it really makes a good habitat for mosquitoes. So according to the EPD, a tire can work as an incubator holding water and then the heat from the sun in that black rubber heats the water and incubates mosquitoes, they can breed a hundred times faster in water inside a tire than anywhere else. Dewey, you're not going to believe this, but I got my political start on the mosquito committee in the city of Norcross. And we had this problem and folks were saying, well, you should just do this spraying. And so uh, in the chemical, and I was concerned, I had little kids and I, and, I said, there's got to be a source of this. There's got to be some source of all these mosquitoes. We didn't have a, a lake or any, any kind of giant standing water. And so we began to investigate. And we discovered that one of the city council members 
had thousands of hubcaps and tires in their backyard and to your point they all had water in them and when you looked down and squinted you could see the mosquito larva and who knows how many millions of mosquitoes were coming just out of the city council person's backyard you know that's unbelievable but i've seen the same thing as i've gone to these tire dumps you know unfortunately i'm that one guy out of a hundred there'll be one mosquito and i'll get bit 50 times and everybody else is fine so you know i've definitely got a vendetta against these mosquitoes and i'm trying to do what i can to get rid of them so Every tire we can recycle is uh, one less incubator for a mosquito to breed. Let's walk over to this uh, secondary pile, and I'll show you some pictures of this on Energy Matters, but this is definitely more finely ground. Um, and it seems like, Dewey, that I've seen this before. As I've gone to biomass plants around the U.S. and even in, in Europe, I've seen this type of of material being used. Why is this a good supplement to put in a biomass boiler? So the reason it's it's such a good supplement is because it's about a two inch minus TDF, TDF being tire derived fuel, but it has a BTU content that's one and a half times greater than coal. It's also cleaner than certain types of coal. And you know, so it, it helps us keep tires out of the landfill. You know, and in Georgia, that's very important. So that's, that's what we got there. And Dewey, as I went to Montreal and toured Kruger, they make white cloud toilet paper. I noticed that, you know, they, they were having to have, you have to have steam to make these paper products. And they were putting the paper sludge onto a conveyor belt with some wood waste. And they were then sprinkling what they called tire fluff onto this and I think you call it fiber but it was it was almost like you could blow it I mean it didn't I didn't feel any metal in it it was it was a very unique thing that I'd never seen before but you said this is pretty flammable stuff exactly so that would be the nylon that's in your tire with the uh, steel belting and um, in our process we're able to separate that and collect that and then send that to end users just like you mentioned but it is definitely a, a very valuable, high energy content material that can help them ignite some of that wet or sludge material. Dewey, we talk about sustainability on this show, Energy Matters. We're on WGAU in Athens. We're down in Brunswick, Savannah, Clarksville, Atlanta on every podcast platform. Uh, so I'm anxious for, for folks to find out more about what you're doing. But you were telling me that 99% of these tires get used. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty incredible amount uh, to be able to recover. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason for that is this facility has been here 32 years. And we go through great lengths to make sure that we recycle every tire. And so... The only material that doesn't get recycled is some of those, some of the sweepings and content that falls off of our belts and gets contaminated. Um, but everything else we're able to recycle into one use or another. And that's something that's very important to us. You know, the energy landscape out there is changing. There's a push towards more renewables. And I often tell people that every type of energy has an impact. 
solar panels made in China. They may be made in slave labor camps. They're going to come over on a diesel container ship. Uh, there's, there's going to be a recycling issue with those at the end of their life. Yeah, natural gas, very clean, but there's fracking that people are concerned about. So you've got that issue. Coal has ash. We've got 90 million tons of coal ash in Georgia. Not too far from here, we've got a whole bunch of it over at Plant McDonough. Uh, and, and then you think about batteries and the issue of battery recycling. I mean, it seems like there is no perfect form of energy. I, I would definitely agree, but I'd say this is one that's near and dear to my heart, obviously, and made here in Atlanta, made in Georgia. And, you know, it, you can come here and see how we do it. You can come here and we can show you the process. And we sell the rubber mulch to big box retailers that you all know. And, you know, they like the fact that they can come here and they can see exactly how it's made, exactly what goes into the product. You know, there's no secret into what's ending up into that bag when you come here and see it for yourself. You know, as I drive down the highway, I often call 511, which goes to the Department of Transportation, and I report debris in the road. And a lot of that debris, Dewey, is, is retreads off of 18-wheelers. And I tell you, I've hit them with, with a couple of my cars, and it does about... It does about $1,000 worth of damage every time you hit it, but you guys are actually getting that material. How does that wind up here? Well, you know, that was a problem the DOT had mentioned to us several years ago because we work with them as well. And so we provide containers at their substations, and they load those into our containers, and we transport them back here where we recycle them. So now you know. Doing our last minute, Allie Kelly and... Uh, Harriet and everybody down at the Ray, down at the, at the, at the other end of I-85 on the Alabama line, they're all excited about this new, con this new concrete or asphalt, I guess it's asphalt that they're going to be using, that has a portion of rubber in it. Have you heard about that and are you excited about it? Absolutely. So that's one of the things that, you know, we've all been working on together along with the DOT for many years to try to make a reality in here in Georgia because it's it's been a reality in Arizona and Texas and Florida. You know, and the benefits of rubberized asphalt are just truly unbelievable. But you know, it's something that we are excited about, and I think, uh, you know, something that you'll see a lot more about in the near future. So, you know, it could be great for Georgia. Uh, safer roads, quieter roads, the benefits are just countless. And, you know, the Olympics have uh, been, been going on this summer, and those tracks out there, those, those softer tracks that you walk on uh, and pass, I go through in park, do those have tires in them well i don't know exactly each one of those tracks but um i can tell you a lot of our rubber goes up to uh north georgia and ends up in in tracks and fields and we do most of the fields across the country so i can tell you those types of fields and tracks are much more enjoyable to walk and run on where can folks find out more about Liberty Tire Recycling? Well, you can easily check us out on our website, libertytire.com, and uh, all the information is there. Well, it's been great having you on the show today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. Stick around. More Energy Matters. 
Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Green Power EMC. From the suburbs to rural farming communities, Georgia is enjoying the benefits of a more sustainable future through the power of solar energy. Available from 38 of Georgia's member-owned electric membership cooperatives, or EMCs, these not-for-profit utilities are harnessing the sun's energy to bring clean, renewable, and affordable electricity to 4.2 million Georgians. For more information, visit www.greenpoweremc.com or contact your local EMC. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AMLAW 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters and with my friend Ed Davis here for the Dunwoody Parade, now getting ready to do a much larger 30,000 fan parade. Thanks for bringing your very cool car over. <laughs> uh, it's a pleasure, Tim. Pleasure to be here. All this Americana Fourth of July celebration. It's great to be out and about. Speaking of American pride, uh, building new nuclear in America with our craft labor, uh, with our designs, we're very excited to be getting Vogel online next year sometime. I think it's going to be just a fantastic, a fantastic thing for Georgia. And I know you've been following this a long time. Oh yeah, this uh, you know that right now there's probably not a better time in the last 10, 20 years in terms of the prospects of nuclear power. I think people are now realizing that nuclear energy offers uh, so many uh, important attributes. Zero carbon, 24-7, 365 days a year. You don't need to refuel them about once every 24 months. So they have so many advantages uh, that they can bring. And when because of uh, the issue of climate now, people are starting to take another look at nuclear power. It's just fantastic. So if you think about what happened in Texas and even what's going on this summer in California with these occasional pleas from the mayor of Los Angeles to, you know, stop using power and, of course, the stuff that happened in January in Texas, how does nuclear energy uh, help a state like Georgia or, or other states that might build in the future? How does it help them in a time of crisis on the grid? Well, simply put, is it's baseload power. You know, sources like uh, which are important, obviously, wind and solar energy depend on the wind blowing and the sun being out. Nuclear power is there 24/7. It's called baseload power. It's important to keep the grid up and going, particularly when you have adverse weather conditions uh, that either freezing or you know, extremely hot weather conditions where things tend to break down. These nuclear plants just keep on running. That's what they're designed to do. It seems like 
Idaho National Lab, the new scale project out there, and I'm hearing much more every time I get on a Zoom call with Nehruk or something about nuclear. It's, it's all about Idaho. Is it the next big thing after Vogel gets online? Well, Idaho is sort of grand zero for the reinvention of advanced nuclear. You know, in the early 50s, uh, when Eisenhower said we wanted to turn swords into plowshares, you know, Idaho was the scene of maybe 50 demonstration reactors of all shapes, sizes, and uh, colors and designs. We're actually going back and revisiting a lot of those designs. So. Idaho National Laboratory is right in the thick of things in terms of advancing advanced nuclear power in the United States. We had an old friend of mine, uh, Eben from South Africa, on our call the other day, and it's the, the, the graphite pebble bed reactor, and it's been a while since I had seen a presentation on that because they had wanted to get this started in South Africa. He winds up getting hired by someone over here, but it looks like that technology is going to move forward as well. Pebble beds, yeah, pebble beds are coming back. That's uh, helium cooled. That's a gas, what they call high temperature gas reactor. And one of the things about advanced nuclear is not only can they produce electricity, but they also can produce uh, high temperature heat, which is great for industrial processes. And that's going to allow us to back out carbon in terms of steel making and other energy intensive industrial processes. Let me put a theory to you, um, because I, I know there's a lot of states that don't like nuclear. You know, states like California is kind of stepping a, stepping away. And other, frankly, blue states, uh, Massachusetts closed the Pilgrim pl- plant and Vermont Yankee got closed up there. But is hydrogen a gateway drug to get these guys back into nuclear? Because it seems like everybody is so fascinated with quote green hydrogen and could you see nuclear reactors is it existing nuclear reactors be kind of uh, be, be transformed into hydrogen making machines and all of a sudden become something that the left is excited about oh oh yes i think it's a perfect match uh hydrogen so terms of nuclear, uh, nuclear power can produce uh, hydrogen, particularly in off-peak times or during peak times when, uh, when solar and wind are really producing lots of electricity. Nuclear power, which operates 24-7, could be producing hydrogen rather than electricity. It's not needed. So it's, it's a hybrid energy technology that's coupled. It gives nuclear power another arrow in its quiver, one more advantage. And hydrogen is going to be really needed and necessary for industrial processes. Again, like steelmaking and other forms of uh, industrial processes that require a lot of energy and have been using a lot of of carbon fuel. I'm hearing companies like Dominion, Duke, Southern talk about injecting hydrogen into their gas pipelines to the tune of uh, about 5% for the future. And everybody's getting all excited about this. Well, first uh, it was replacement of coal plants and replaced coal plants with natural gas, pretty much for the most part. And now uh, people are taking another look in terms of how to wean ourselves away and reduce our consumption of natural gas. So hydrogen is an ideal fuel for that. And people are starting to take a look at that seriously now. I guess I have a problem with... 
with comparing coal to natural gas. Uh, there's no ash with natural gas. There's no mercury. It is such a cleaner fuel. And I'm, I'm telling folks as I travel here and, and all around the U.S., look, this is, this is not a fair comparison. We should not let the left demonize natural gas to the point where they make it the new coal. Well, I think that you got a good point. I think uh, coal with carbon capture sequestration, I think that technology is really coming and it could be the, the silver bullet that uh, puts uh, coal back, in the, uh, on, back on the drawing board. Uh, so they can capture a lot of the uh, carbon uh, from coal plants and make it as clean as uh, possible and uh, therefore should be really given serious consideration for further utilization. In my opinion, coal is done. I just think the ash problem and the amount of money that we're spending on ash, even if we could capture it, even if we could run the CO2 down a long pipeline and put it down some kind of aquifer or some kind of well, I just feel like coal has been damaged so much in this country that you know that commissioners like myself and other states they're just not going to spend any money especially with what happened to the Kemper plant uh, in Mississippi well I've seen nuclear energy stigmatized too in the past so you know you never say never uh, when it comes to energy it's so important it's the lifeblood of our economy it's a natural resource technology is the great enabler you just really can't predict the future when it comes to new technology that will take a resource like coal and really do something with it and cleaning it up and making it once again a viable uh, energy source to be relied upon. So never say never. I had a chance back uh, when I was in Normandy looking at French reprocessing of nuclear waste or nuclear uh, spent fuel as we like to say. Uh, and as I toured that plant, there were a lot of young people working there. And I compare that to our plants here in Georgia, Plant Hatch and Plant Vogel, where there's much older people working. And I, I, guess, I guess I'm feeling like millennials and this next generation, they are kind of intrigued with technology, with Elon Musk, with rockets, with going to Mars. Uh, and they're not as upset about advanced fuel as maybe their hippie grandparents were. Uh, so you think about Elon Musk using, I guess, uh, kerosene, rocket-grade kerosene in his rockets. And I mean, if we're ever going to go to Mars, that, that thing's going to have to be powered by you know, some kind of nuclear technology if we're going to go that far and if we're going to be able to generate electricity out there on Mars. So are you hopeful that the younger people that are kind of intrigued with technology might embrace advanced fuels and advanced nuclear in particular? Well, I would say, I wouldn't say might, I, I would say they are and they're actively supporting. You know, millennials grew up on, you know, technology. They're very sophisticated and using computers and cell phones. They go to college and it's just really uh, cutting edge stuff. Simulation, computer simulation, uh, modern manufacturing techniques, all of that technology brings sort of a new world, opens up a new world and they embrace it. So they don't have sort of a knee jerk negative reaction that maybe 
people that were raised in the 60s that were so concerned about nuclear weapons and the possibility that nuclear power would be a gateway to uh, to, to nuclear war. It's just not that, it's not a connection really anymore. I mean, those kids never huddled under a desk, right? They never went into any kind of shelter. And I mean, the Cold War is a thing of the past, something they may or may not read about in their textbooks. I think that's true. And modern day reprocessing, it isn't what, you know, the old 60s technology is. They can do things with reprocessing where plutonium, which is really the uh, substance of, uh, of concern, never really gets separated. So it's not, it's not useful. It won't, won't be available for diversion purposes. Hey, stick around. I'm going to bring Ed Davis back for another segment. We're not done talking about advanced technology because as we think about dispatchable resources, as we think about a reliable grid, we absolutely have to have these advanced nuclear reactors to do it. And so we're going to talk to Ed Davis of Pegasus, Pegasus Consulting about how this is going to be possible. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com, solarsunworld.com. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit, and the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by BMW Auto Sales. With gas prices hitting over $3 for the first time since 2014, isn't it time you consider a hybrid or a plug-in hybrid from BMVW Auto Sales? These plug-in hybrids will go 50 miles on electric charge, saving you precious money and time. Skip the line at the gas pumps and charge in your garage. See more at ev-hybrid.com. That's ev-hybrid.com. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters, still at the Dunwoody Parade. We're, we're in the staging area, just kind of looking at all this stuff, fire trucks, antique cars, floats, and my friend Ed Davis driving me in his old Mercedes, this classic German-engineered car. When did, where did you get this car, Ed? I got this car back in 1987. You know, it's... Uh, it's a coupe. It's a classic, uh, classic designs. It's got a big V8 gasoline-powered engine, which probably is, will make it an antique. I probably won't be able to allow me to drive it much, <laughs> much longer. So, having to put it, getting good use out of it now. Ed, last last night we were in the Brazelton Parade, and I had two electric cars in the parade, right? And so here's here's a parade nightmare. So we're you know doing great the first half of the parade my volunteers are giving out flags I'm, I'm talking to people on both sides of the road and then the mustang behind us decides that he's going to start doing this burnout 
right? This, you know, kind of stationary burnout where you hold the brakes and you press the gas and you, you light the tires up and, and there's all of this smoke, but this thing had some, some great mufflers on it. So it was drowning out anything that we were trying to say. And here's the parade nightmare part. The interaction that I'm trying to have with, with patrons along the route they're not looking at me anymore, Ed. They're looking back at that cloud of smoke back there and that Mustang that's kind of pivoting all over the road. And I'm, frankly, I was sitting there going, I can't believe the sheriff deputies and this police aren't stopping this car because this guy was dangerous, not to mention stealing all, stealing all my thunder. It was awful. Well, I can remember going to high school growing up, and uh, my favorite car was a 57 Chevrolet, <laughs> you know, a 300 horsepower engine so i grew up uh you know california they were drag racing and all kinds of all kinds of stuff uh but you know the gasoline engine may have seen its heyday i'm gonna miss him uh you know the sort of the sound and fury the the noise of the mufflers the rumble of the engine all that you know hitting the road was a lot of fun but now it's going to be quiet evs all the way right I don't know, Ed. I go to Road Atlanta and I talk to old white guys like myself, uh, and they tell me they're not going to support racing if 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 there's not noise. Um, and they they like the sound and they like the vibration, uh, and they just are saying, you know what, we're not going to uh, be a part of it if they take away these ice engines. Well, they'll probably have to figure out. Like in my old days, we used to put these. Uh, playing cards on our bicycles so they when we used to drive them they used to make a lot of chatter they're gonna have to figure out how to put some sex appeal into the evs they just can't be all quiet they put some roar into them again well i was talking to the guys down at porsche atlanta at their uh, experience center and they said they have an option uh on the on the car that you can get sound. It's, I think, a $450 option on their electric Taycan. And he said that most of the guys are ordering the artificial sound. Well, I can see that. They could probably get whatever soundtrack you want. It could be it could be a Porsche. It could be a Mercedes, be a Ford Mustang. You can, you can just have your soundtracks and select the one you want, right? That's cool. That is very cool. Speaking of Germans, let's talk about the Germans a second. Uh, they have... They have you know, divorce themselves from nuclear energy. They're closing all their reactors. Do you think they will, in fact, shut them all down? Uh, you know, Germany is, uh, they did that uh, right after um, right after the accident at Fukushima. They uh, shut them all down. And they're pretty much, you know, they also, not only did they have a number of about 17 nuclear reactors that they were shutting down, but they're also shutting down there are coal plants as well, so they are all in on uh, renewables. And again, there's nothing wrong with renewables, but renewables are intermittent. And so where do they get their power when the sun isn't shining? They get it from France, from nuclear-generated French electricity when they don't make it. So maybe they can do that for some time. I don't know if that's a great policy, though. I was over there, and I asked them about that very thing, and I said, doesn't this kind of contradict your conviction against nuclear energy? And their comment was, well, that's not really ours. It's the French, and, and we, don't, we don't have any problem buying theirs. We just don't want to have, we just don't want to have the reactors in-country. Well, you know, that's a little, 
little bit of a stretch, I would say. You know, you like to like to use it. It's a, a critical uh, requirement to maintaining their economy, their standard of living, but they don't want to have it actually on their soil. A lot of those, uh, a lot of those workers in Germany were those were high tech jobs uh, that they had uh, had to lay uh, lay people off because they were shutting down those nuclear plants. So I don't know what the future for Germany is. I'm not sure that's the right model. Ed, as you think about where the nuclear renaissance is in the world today, we thought maybe, you know, it would be in the U.S., uh, and it might be in the future, but certainly Asia is building a lot of reactors. Well, Asia has uh, population centers, and uh, obviously mega cities can't depend solely on uh, wind and uh, solar, so they have to have base load to, to run their cities. But quite honestly, you know, the... U.S. has always led the way in innovation, and we're doing it today. Last year, the Department of Energy uh, issued 10 grants to advanced reactor developers to develop reactors of the future. And, you know, we're leading the way. There's no one that can compete with us when we get our minds to it on innovation. I'm really, the TerraPower reactor is a case in point. TerraPower really is based on technology that was developed back in the 50s, metal water fast reactor technology, but they've taken it to the next level. They actually produce, uh, the reactor runs 24-7, and it's coupled to a a hot uh, salt, molten salt tank. So they're actually heating salt, and then that salt is what drives the uh, turbine generator. And so... When, they're, when there's powers available from solar and wind, they just produce hot so a molten salt. And then later on when it's not, when there's no wind or, uh, or solar, they just uh, generate it from, uh, from the tank. That's all, all built up by the reactor running 24-7. So it's a cool technology. You know, when I talk to people about, you know, generating power, you know, and you think about all the different ways that we boil water, right? We're, we're boiling water, we're melting salt, uh, but we've just got to do it at such a scale. Ed, really, at the end of the day, you know, it, it's, it, it is a simple concept that we're talking about, about boiling water and turning a turbine and turning a generator. Yeah, I think that, and, and nuclear has proven itself. I mean, these plants have the highest capacity factors that's the amount of time they run uh, throughout the day and throughout the year of any uh, large-scale generation. They're 90, over 95%, sometimes 99%. And as I mentioned before, they run almost two years without a refueling. So you don't have to have a coal train coming in you know, by the cargo loads every, every day, every day. Don't have to have that. And uh, more and more, I think they're looking at nuclear energy, advanced nuclear energy as hybrid energy systems, coupled either producing hydrogen or, you know, heating up molten salt to be used to generate electricity when the when renewables aren't available. So that's the future. Hey, I'm seeing DeKalb Commissioner Ted Terry around the corner. And Ted, Ted uh, worked with our building and trades union, and I know he's... He's very much supported our labor uh, out at Plant Vogel. Ted, uh, let me ask you just a quick question, if I could. Um, I know our guys are very proud out there, uh, and we are employing about 7,000 union workers. I mean, this is a great accomplishment for, for Georgia Craft Labor. 
Oh, absolutely. I think uh, the um, the workers out there, um, they've had a, several several years of work, haven't they? Um, and uh, yeah, that's um, it is one of the largest construction projects in the world, isn't it? So it's um, it's a definitely uh, an opportunity for skilled labor to put those skills to use. Ted, I was talking to the the unions the other day, and they're they're hopeful that as we close coal plants here, that we can transition them over to advanced nuclear reactors, and that Georgia might, in the future, I don't know when it would be, but that we actually might take these generation four reactors and and move our craft labor uh, from say a plant Bowen or a plant Shearer to that. Uh, I have not heard that, <laughs> but let, let's let's build the first one first, and then we'll. Uh, go from there. <laughs> you know, I think that's a good idea. Let's get this. Let's let's get this first one done. Uh, Ted, um, you and I are big electric vehicle fans. Um, big big solar fans. Are you hopeful for these two technologies in Georgia? Absolutely. Now that we're making electric car batteries here, and we, we're seeing more solar. Um, I've got an electric bike now. Um, I've got solar on my rooftop. I'm charging. My, my electric bicycle with the sun and commuting into Decatur from Clarkston, four mile ride on the Stone Mountain Trail uh, to the Maloof building where my commission office is. Wow, it's good to see you. Looking forward to being in the parade with you today. Yeah, happy 4th of July. Yeah, thanks. And Ed Davis, thank you for being a part of, uh, of Energy Matters today and all your great work uh, making sure that we're thinking about all these technologies for the future. Well, thanks, Tim. Glad to be here. Glad to be here. It's a great celebration. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to Energy Matters. One more on the road segment. We'll be back in just a minute. Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Tim Eccles here for Marlin Gas Services. Marlin doesn't sell gasoline, propane, or even natural gas, but they do solve problems and difficult ones when traditional pipelines are shut down. Remember that contractor that pierced the pipe at the bottom of the Savannah River, terminating gas service to all of Hutchinson Island? Marlin was there. They trucked highly compressed gas over to the island, restoring gas service until the repair could be made. See more at MarlinGas.com. That's MarlinGas.com. This segment of Energy Matters is sponsored by Hall Booth Smith. This law firm works with over 88 Fortune 500 companies, and they have offices from Brunswick to Athens, Tifton to Columbus, and, of course, Atlanta. We'd like to thank Hall Booth Smith for the great work they do with school boards, hospitals, cities, and counties all over our state. See more at hallboothsmith.com. 
Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters. One more segment with Mayor Deutsch. Mayor, let's just walk as we go along here. Mayor Deutsch, this is the largest Fourth of July parade in the state of Georgia. Yes, sir, it is. And it has a huge variety of participation or participants, multiple bands, and it's grown through the years from just a family kind of parade. It's multi, it's three decades old, I think. And um, it is a fabulous celebration. And this year, of course, even more because we didn't get to have the parade last year and everyone is so excited. We are, we have all our community-based groups. Dunwoody has strong nonprofits. Um, we have lots of elected officials, of course, and bands and rep- veterans. Each veteran who comes gets to ride in a car driven by a volunteer. So it's just fabulous. Wow. Well, tell me, how many city council folks do you have here in Dunwoody? We have six city council people and um, me, mayor. So we're council seven, and we are a manager council form of government. Okay, well that's great. So there is no there. There's a city. There's a there's a city manager. And back in the day, I guess 30, 40, 50 years ago, the mayor and councils of cities just kind of ran things. And 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 this, this, why why is having a city manager such a great idea? Is it, does it just increase the professionalism of the city and the efficiency? Yes, sir. Well, we're 12 years old. We're one of the newer cities in Georgia, but um, it totally changes the dynamic of an elected official, a mayor council if they have to actually run the city. And so this way you have a professional person who you hope the council, and we do, hire someone with lots of experience and skills and contracting and managing and you know we're 50,000 people Dunwoody is about 50,000 people and it to me as a mayor it would be really a totally different position if I had to manage an entire staff so the manager the court clerks the city attorney and um, they all appoint they all report to council and then the city clerk not the court clerk and so it's a great form of government yeah, just in my last minute with you, as you think about what's ahead for Dunwoody, what what is this city going to be known for? What are what are some of the major things that you're trying to accomplish? Well, you know, we're the home of Perimeter Center, and so we have the most commercial square footage in the southeast, and we're eagerly anticipating everyone coming back to work later this summer or fall after the pandemic. We have built multiple uh, parks since we've become a city. We have a multi-purpose trail that is continually expanding and we are going to be a great destination for people to work, play, and live. Mayor, thanks for all the great things you're doing over here and for inviting me to the parade. Well, thank you so much for participating. It's going to be a glorious day. I'm so excited. Well, thank you so much. Hey, I've got Mayor Johnny Crist here, former mayor of Lilburn. And Johnny, you're walking with me in the parade today, and you were mayor of Lilburn. Incredible honor of walking with you today to the mighty Tim Eccles. Yeah. Mayor, let's talk about mayoral politics just a minute. These races, I often tell Teen Pack kids that starting out in their political life, running for a nonpartisan city council position, is a good place to start. Am I right there? There is a a whole move among us to say, I want to be somebody, and it's driven by ego rather than service. And so when somebody runs for any kind of public service, start at the bottom. Be a nobody, because there's a language difference. As a pastor, when I was in seminary, there's a whole vocabulary you have to learn. 
to be a religious person or to be in, in ministry. But in the city government, is, I mean, what you do in the commission, you have to learn in city government, you have to learn about DDAs and CIDs and, and uh, splash funds and all that stuff. And you don't get that overnight. It's a major learning curve. So start at the bottom. You know, I remember running uh, a city council race for my friend Andre Debsky back in yeah. 1990, uh, 1992. And I was surprised that in a city like Norcross that we only needed 251 votes to actually win the election. I think a lot of people would be surprised at how little it takes to get elected to a city council. Um, cities in, in Gwinnett County, we have 16 cities, and the smallest city, how many do you think are in the city? If you want to be the mayor of the city of uh, Rest Haven, how many people do you think? I don't know, maybe 100 people vote? 98 people comprise the city of Rest Haven. Oh, it's up by you. And so you need like 20 votes to be the mayor. And our largest city is uh, Peachtree Corners, and we have 36,000 in there, so it gets a gradually higher. But usually with uh, six, 700 votes, you, you're you on city council. It's But it's a lot of work. You have to uh, talk to people. So it's not really a glamorous position like so like like we're doing with so many things in politics where people think oh i have to be on tv i have to do this i have to be rich you don't really have to be rich to be a council member mm -hmm. this is where my faith comes in that <laughs> jesus said the greatest among you is the servant of all so when it's based on we're called public servants as a uh, mayor a sitting mayor of a city of uh, 13,000 my salary was a whopping five thousand dollars our city council members make three thousand dollars so you can make more money to uh, do ubering or deliver pizza this is not about money it's not about prestige it's about do i care about my community am i willing to invest my influence to make this a better place for everybody do you like the like this is this for me out here today walking meeting people knowing that i'm standing for re-election next year this is just a, a golden opportunity to get in front of a lot of people do you like the the politics aspect of running for office do you like that part of it i think everybody to a person loves to serve they hate to candidate <laughs> to go out and do the hard work uh, last year in the election in 2020 i knocked personally i knocked on 6600 doors 6600 that's a lot of getting off a golf cart golf cart walking into a door knocking on it meeting somebody not knowing what you're going to find if it's going to be an acceptable kind of person that likes you or if this is going to be a hard case and so the prospect of getting in political office is very difficult let's be honest about it i mean this is a, what today's monday this is July 4th we could be doing a lot of stuff at home and here we are but ultimately we say if nobody does this if good people don't do this if people with ethics and morals if we don't care about our community then que sera sera is what my mother used to say what will be will be but we've got to make a difference so it's worth the investment of giving time plus uh, to me as a former pastor this is a lot like pastoring just at a bigger level of you know thousands and thousands of people versus uh, a thousand so it's quite rewarding to be in the engaged in the community as you reflect on the 6600 doors that you knocked on what what were you most surprised about 
The it's a very good question. The the thing that really startled me is everybody, and I hate to even say this, has a dog. I was greeted by more dogs than people, and at reflecting on it, I thought, why do people have dogs? Are they companions or are they for safety? And when I thought about the safety part of it, I thought, are we scared in our own homes? And that just revolution, that, that really encouraged me. I thought, man, I want a place, I want to live at a place when my child leaves a bike on the front lawn at night, forgets to bring it in. I want that bike to be there in the morning. I want to live in a place where I can walk our dog down the street in the middle of, or at midnight, rather than be looking around and over my shoulder. Very surprised about the amount of fear that people have. But also, I was very surprised at the fact that people would say, you're running for office and you're at my door? I've lived in this house for 20 years. No political person has ever come to talk to me. You know, and that in and of itself was like, I'll vote for you, bro. <laughs> that kind of thing. Very rewarding to be with the people. You know, I often tell people that outside of Gwinnett County that it is the most diverse county in the state of Georgia from all the different ethnicities. And Lilburn is, I think, kind of the epicenter for that. What did you learn about Gwinnett's diversity in your campaign? Everybody wants the same thing. Everybody wants to have government that they can trust. Everybody wants to have a community that's safe. Everybody wants to be able to have a job that works, a, a freeway system that I'm not tangled up in that I can just move around the city. And whether you're, what doesn't matter what ethnic background, why you came to America, what your, your race is, we all, we're this big community. And people, you know, I spoke at the uh, BAPS, the, uh, I can't even say the name, it's the uh, Hindu temple. So I stood before 8,000 people and I said, you know, there's this lady that stands in the harbor of New York with her arms open. And she said, come here. But uh, John Adams said, our constitution is made for a holy religious people. It will not work for anybody else. And I said, you're religious. You want the same thing, so bring, worship God, bring the best of your community to our community, and let's live here together and enjoy life in Gwinnett County. Wow. Just in our last 20 seconds here, you hold a biblical worldview, and so do I. Do you think we have an obligation as, as Christians to be civically involved? Somebody said to me, uh, and I'll never forget this, when I left the, uh, math, the pastoring, he said, why are you doing this? And the bottom line is that our, the frame of our Constitution, these were uh, pastors, these were people of faith. Everybody put their faith in Jesus and said, we're going to make a difference in our country. Thanks for being on Energy Matters. What a pleasure, my brother. You're the man. Hey, it's Tim Eccles. Have a great day, everybody, and thanks for listening to Energy Matters. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. 
See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. Um...